Knowledge is the fuel that powers intelligent buying and selling. So get a quick recharge with me, Ron Edwards, Master Sommelier and Director of Wine Education for Winebow, Fine Wine, and Spirits. Welcome back, Monique. Great to have you on Wine Smart again. Even though we're not going to be Wine Smart today, we're going to be Spirit Smart. And I think we're going to be walking down this path of uh, buyer beware as we look at the crowded space of spirits these days and um, how distilleries are being um, used for brands as opposed to heart and soul. And maybe that's the way we start talking about this. And so uh, where do you want to start the conversation about buyer beware? Well, there's a huge difference in brands that are approaching us now and brands that approached us five, eight or 10 years ago where there were distilleries that we worked with, you know, historic properties, blue chip properties, where quality was never in question, but the spirits industry wasn't growing quite at the same clip, you know, that it's in right now, the run that it's in right now, especially at the premium and super premium end. So a lot of these distillers, small families that we worked with, you know, really traditional methods actually had some excess capacity to, you know, to, to get them fully operational and actually probably profitable. And so folks approached them that loved the quality of what they were doing and said, can I do something, you know, with, with my name on it, or maybe my little spin on it? Can we talk about a difference in fermentation or dilution? If you're talking about tequila, can we talk about a difference in the mash bill or the speed of distillation? If we're talking about bourbon. So there were levers that you could pull within a quality organization to actually put a hallmark of someone who, oh, I love this tequila producer. I love this bourbon producer. What a great, cool thing that would be if I could put a little bit of my spin on it and put this quality product out there, the little bit different you know, name, a little bit different tack. And if I get to make some money along the way, great. And I feel like that kind of grabbed more people who saw an opportunity to make quick cash, an opportunity to put something out there with a marketing spin on it or some other kind of spin on it to just take money without the quality, without that backbone being there. And so as these distilleries specifically just kind of in, let's say Kentucky bourbon or in tequila in Mexico, as the really truly good historic properties reached capacity, they've had to stop taking on clients. And there's been a lot of that during COVID. And so properties that, that we are super proud to represent in a couple of different spaces under a couple of different names, you know, and obviously we, don't, we can't hide that. So we're really transparent about it. Now people are approaching us and the distilleries are, I don't even want to say fly by night. You don't spend millions of dollars of investment to create something that's going to be fly by night. So obviously someone is breaking ground, putting in distillation equipment, you know, going through the time to get the ingredients, everything else. But it seems like more and more people who are seeing this opportunity to make some money, this opportunity to market something a little bit differently are not as driven at base by the quality aspect and more by seeing an opportunity in the market to sell a bourbon, any bourbon, a tequila, any tequila. And it's actually creating these properties that are just kind of pumping out brands. Yeah. Okay. So it's starting to sound like uh, the buyer beware issue is not unlike the thing that my first memory of it being talked about, I'm sure it happened before this, but my memory as a professional being talked about was in the late eighties, custom crush facilities where you would get a contract for some fruit somewhere and you wanted to have your own wine label and you would take it to this custom crush facility. And they were, for lack of a better description, a European style co-op, except 
that you weren't partners with everybody, but wine was made there and you got your portion of it and then they made something else for somebody else. That in and of itself is not the problem, right, Monique? It's not so much that people want to get into this space. It's the mindset that they bring, right? Because I think you're referring to past situations where the mindset of getting into the space was, I have an opportunity to put my name on something of high quality because a high quality producer has excess. Now we're in a position where people are like, well, I got to start from scratch. I'm not buying from a well-known producer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, you just really hit the nail on the head is that this is something I'm proud to put my name on, or if, if searched, I could find my name associated with it because of the quality. I found this property because of the quality. I discovered that there was some excess capacity. Then I discovered that there were levers that I could pull to say, oh my gosh, I got to have a hand in the production of this beautiful thing. So one of the distilleries that we work with, Cascoing Facility, NOM 1123 in Mexico, we are so proud via Suro Imports and David Suro to get to import their, their family brand, Cascoing. But we also have access to that under David's, you know, Siembra range. We also have access to some of that liquid with some nuances under different labels, but they're at capacity. They're no longer taking on new people because they have to, and their business is growing. So they have to be able to reserve, you know, that equipment and, and those pieces for themselves. And so somebody, people are still approaching them. They're going to have to say, oh, you're going to have to go on down the road, you know, to whatever it is. And it's interesting. I've heard of these kind of custom crush facilities, but that even calling it that, that sounds cool. Custom. I can go in and I can do this custom thing. But if I don't know anything about wine other than drinking wine, and I just am like, I just want to put my name on a bottle or, you know, people are buying wine that costs $99.99 a bottle. Maybe the quality isn't the thing that's driving people there. They just, just want to kind of put something out into the world and see what happens with it. So we've also seen, I don't know if I've ever shared this example, and I won't give the name of the, it's a sports celebrity. There was a sports celebrity that put whiskey in a bottle and the whiskey was not very good quality. It was whatever it was. No one would ever buy a second bottle of it. So whiskey geeks didn't like it. Monique didn't like it. And then the people that liked the celebrity weren't really whiskey fans. So they would go to the bottle signing and get this bottle signed by the person and they're never going to crack the bottle. It's now a souvenir. So in both ways, no one's ever buying the second bottle. And a few years on that brand no longer exists. So if quality's not there. The longevity is not there. And you really just have to continue to dig into where these spirits are being produced. And do you believe in what's going on at the property? If you've never heard of the distillery or where it's being produced is completely opaque, which obviously we can't get away with in tequila because we've got noms, you know, ask more questions or go back to something that you that you know and love, you know, rather than than getting taken for a ride no matter what the price. Yeah, it sounds like a real downer to not be able to explore. So you had two things there, right? Do the research, make sure you know the provenance, right? That's not always as easy as it sounds. So other than patting ourselves on the back and saying, well, Winebow, you can trust us. We, we don't do that kind of stuff. Um, that's one source. But, you know, you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, well, man, I don't want to get taken for a ride. I don't, I don't want to buy something that's inauthentic. So maybe a few suggestions through your years of experience that helps people avoid someone who has a fabulous marketing plan and seems like a reasonable idea, but in the end is hollow and empty. Yeah. I mean, on the agave side, it's use your noms. That's all there is to it. You got to know those properties. They make it easy. Thank goodness. On the whiskey side, it's more challenging. Lots of people sign NDAs, but you know, if you can happen to trace back, you know, where they're getting it, or if you can even see when the distillery, distilleries are given DSPs, they're given like these distinct numbers based on when the distillery starts. So those, there's DSP 001 and there's DSPs in the five digits now. 
So the longer later in, in the numbers that the DSP is, the newer that it is. So if, if the facilities only existed since 2022, we're not drinking 10 year old bourbon, you know, or, or did they source it somewhere else and bring it over? So there's a, there should be some things. Also, if it just kind of seems too good to be true, these stories of people like, oh, we lost this thing and we found this thing and then this is going on, you know, all well and good. I will also say it is your money. And if you're interested in if, if the marketing's beautiful and the label's beautiful, or you happen to really like that celebrity and you appreciate that they like bourbon at a price point that you're comfortable with, try it. If you don't like it, pack it with some Coca-Cola and some ice, power through the bottle. Don't buy it again. But if you do, then you've discovered something new, you know. So I don't I don't want to get people completely away from trying things, but there's definitely some some levers that you can pull to find the right producers. Right. And so uh, I'll put a link to this uh, very helpful website in the podcast itself. It's been in one of the previous podcasts. And when we're talking about agave, we can go to... Yeah, you can go to tequilamatchmaker.com and look at the good work that those folks are doing. Um, and also just in you know certifying brands additive free and, and telling you exactly where they come from, exactly where these tequilas come from. Yeah. And, and they're, they're an independent, so they're, they have no skin in the game other than they just want people to drink authentic stuff. And then uh, is there a resource like that, that people can look at a few different places for where bourbons and, and whiskeys in the United States are coming from, or is it really? Honestly, I'll tell you, even myself, I mean, look for something on the back of the bottle that says distilled in. If it says bottled, it was just bottled there. That doesn't tell you anything about where it was distilled. Blended, that doesn't tell you anything about where it was distilled. So be really careful about something saying where it was distilled, the use of the word distilled. And as well, there should be some transparency. I mean, you should be able to email someone, go on a website, Google it, look at a review site, but say who makes that, that, that. And somebody on the internet will probably tell you. Yep. And when in doubt, just buy wine those spirits. Because we did all the research for you. It's tough, tough stuff, Ron. It's a tough job. <laughs> I know. It's all, That's why we have you. <laughs> All right, well, this has been great. I hope this helps people avoid a buyer beware situation where they're enthralled by a story, but the story is inauthentic. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Happy holidays, Ron. Thank you very much. Happy holidays to you. Until next time.